So the interview with Oprah Winfrey was last night. And yeah, I mean, anybody that has any doubt about the UK's, I mean, not the royal family. Okay, they should just stop being the royal family. We need to abolish, we need to fucking grow up and stop telling ourselves stories about kings and queens and princes and princesses. I mean, what the fuck? This is the 21st century. We still have to go through this absolute charade. And it does not matter. There's a deep-seated sickness at the heart of the British um, society and the British population. The vast majority of people in Britain will stand by the Queen no matter what she fucking does, no matter how many years of supporting her paedophile son and protecting him from being questioned by the, you know, FBI and everyone else who wants to fucking talk about him. And the, you know, well, they're more than allegations. We know that he raped a child for fuck's sake. Like, it's unbelievable, you know? It is absolutely incredible that that is allowed to kind of just happen in the 21st century in a European country. Oh, yeah, that's fine. The head of state is protecting her son. So, you know, how many other times do we need to know that the uh, royal family is utterly corrupt? A story came out a couple of days ago saying that they were literally editing the laws in order to fucking enrich themselves more. Her and fucking Charles. Unbelievable, you know? And so, no surprise, they're a bunch of fucking racists. This is a woman when she was seven years old that she was photographed doing the Nazi salute, okay? Her uncle, Edward, was an actual Nazi. Like, (laughs) what does this change? It doesn't change a fucking thing. It is a couple of days' worth of news. Um, I don't expect the fucking palace will say anything. Um, You know, I mean, what can they say? We all know they're a bunch of fucking racists, like, utterly sick, like, really, really sick. But the problem is, it's just a, a... Of course they're sick. Because the whole of the country is absolutely sick. I mean, just look around you. Look around you. It is incredible that we are living in a a, a massively right-wing country. It's so obvious. Like, so fucking obvious. So, anyway, I'm, as you can tell, I'm pretty um, het up by all this bollocks. Um, what I think will will happen is that after a couple of days of, you know, people saying, oh, yeah, wasn't it terrible? People will just think, oh, no, fucking, we can't touch the Queen. You know, the Queen is beyond reproach. Beyond reproach being exactly the phrase that Sausage Johnson used when he was asked about, like, the prince. A prince who's, uh, you know, living on our fucking dime, being a paedophile. And that's what the fucking Prime Minister said. Unbelievable. So, yeah, will will it change anything? No, of course it won't change anything. Is it disgusting? Yes, it is disgusting. But what do you expect with a country full of these tabloid... I mean, what's interesting is that the uh, royal family are terrified of getting a bad press. They're terrified of the tabloid press. And fair play to Harry, who fucking lived through the ridiculousness of his mother basically being persecuted to the point of death, 
you know? Fair play for him to think, yeah, let's fucking get out of here. And if I have to sever the ties with these assholes, then I will. I'm no fan of any of them. You know, they should all be just get uh, jobs down the Sainsbury's. Hi there, my name is Pete. This is Social Distance. So we've got a packed show today. And number one, we are going to talk about the old um, budget. Yeah, but very short budget speech. And mainly it's to do with up north. Yes, up north. And then we're going to be talking about COVID-19. And we're going to be talking about Biden. Yes. And we're going to be talking about after the uh, cigarettes, the outro music. A paranormal blip, which is a really interesting paranormal blip today, where we look at a, a theory, unified theory of uh, paranormalia. Yeah, UTP, UTP. Got to come up with a name for that. Anyway, here's the show. And first of all, the good news, main headline really, is MasterChef is back. My bone is clean. Meanwhile, the BBC are asking all the tough questions. <laughs> Do you sometimes sort of look at the Petri dish and say, wow, that is the virus that's brought the world to a halt? President Biden the other day said that he is able to uh, offer the vaccine to every single adult American by the end of May, by the end of May, which is fantastic. Isn't that good news? Yes. And it's because Johnson Johnson's vaccine has been uh, authorised, but he's used the Defence Production Act to get another company, um, a rival of Johnson Johnson's, to help with the bottling and distribution. I think that, that company's called Mark, I think, or Merck, something like that. And um, so the, this is very good news, obviously. And here he is. We're now on track to have enough vaccine supply for every adult in America by the end of May. Let me say that again. When we came into office, the prior administration had contracted for not nearly enough vaccine to cover adults in America. We rectified that. About three weeks ago, we were able to say that we'll have enough vaccine supply for adults by the end of July. And I'm pleased to announce today, as a consequence of the stepped-up process, that I've ordered and just outlined. This country will have enough vaccine supply, I'll say it again, for every adult in America by the end of May. By the end of May. So that's really great news. And also, uh, Biden wants all teachers to have at least one dose of the vaccination by the end of the month as well. And um, I know anecdotally people, teachers are getting it uh, in the UK. We've both had our jabs, both my partner and I, uh, which is good. The first shot, you know. Um, and uh, we're up to roughly 30% now. And this uh, success in rolling out the vaccine is the reason why, unbelievably, the Tory party have leapt ahead of the Labour Party. They're seven points ahead. It's like extraordinary. I just can't work it out. I mean, obviously, I know that we live in a right-wing country and all the rest of it, you know. But it is, you know, 147,000 people, at least 147,000 people have died of COVID-19 in the UK 
that's uh, on their death certificates. Uh, it's incredible. Um, the last data that came out for that was 142,000, and that was uh, up until the 19th of uh, February. And then if you go by the other, there's 5,000 people have died within 28 days between the 19th of February and now, uh, at least, you know. So um, it's at least 147,000. So we're nearly at the point where 150,000 people have died of COVID-19. Now, it's really good that deaths are down and deaths are declining uh, quickly and hospital admissions are declining quickly. But there's still plenty of people in hospital, in ICU units, um, to the point where actually there's more, because we increased capacity so much, even though it's slowly dropping, people are in hospital for longer with, you know, COVID-19, you could be in hospital for months, like literally months in ICU. Um, certainly, you know, it's not a quick turnaround in ICU if you've got COVID-19. And it's all, it's still above the uh, capacity from last year. So it's never breached capacity, but only because we put in so many more, like thousands more beds. And there's a kind of schism that's uh, growing in these, in this kind of like last final couple of days, really, of the tight lockdown before schools open again on Monday. And this schism, it's kind of like a north-south divide. More than that, it's a deprivation divide. So the areas of England, and we've got data for England here, so I'm really talking about England, but of course, it's, you know, going to affect other um, countries in the UK as well, obviously. So the data shows that over the course of September to now, on average, um, 100,000 more cases affected the most deprived areas uh, compared to the least deprived areas of England, which is extraordinary. And of course, you know, we know why. We know that if you can't afford to self-isolate, you're not going to self-isolate. If you don't have the kind of job that you can do at home, then you're going to have to go out and, you know, put yourself on the front lines, no matter what your job is, because you're out there in the community. So, you know, it's no surprise to all of this. But also what's shocking as well is that the number of adults that have had uh, the vaccination is in the most deprived areas is 10% less than the least deprived areas. For the adult population of England, 31% in the most deprived area uh, areas of the of England have been vaccinated, and in the least deprived areas, that's 41%. So you know the folks that need the vaccinations the most are the folks that are um, putting themselves on the line more and getting um, the case, you know, getting COVID-19 more. 100,000 per week on average from September to to now, so for the last six months or so. I mean, that's an extraordinary figure, you know? And it, there's a fear out there that it's going to become essentially a disease of deprivation. It's going to be linked to deprivation. 
and we know now that you know kind of we've been told so many times that the government are very happy that you're going to have a background uh, number of probably about 20,000 uh, you know on average of last couple of years it's been 17,000 flu deaths per year so you're around about that you know 20,000 COVID-19 deaths per year it won't make the headlines will hopefully you know be vaccinated like I was saying a couple of weeks ago people like me will have to kind of mitigate probably for the rest of my life you know certainly in the winter um, months in the winter months um, you know but that's that's how it's going to go and it's going to affect it's not going to affect the southwest it's not going to affect where I live half as much as it affects you know places all across the UK, towns and parts of cities where, you know, there's proper deprivation. Now, talking about that, the budget uh, came along and the, uh, like, you know, it's, again, it's like the day after, it's always the day after, a couple of days after the budget, you know, the kind of juiciness of the, of the fat comes out of the budget steak. <laughs> And um, people are up in arms today about the, uh, the government's idea that uh, nurses are going to get a 1% increase in their uh, pay next year, uh, which isn't even above inflation. Inflation is going to be 1.4%. I think that's the projection for inflation next year. So it's not even above inflation. So it's a slap in the face. It uh, amounts to a pay decrease, obviously. Um, Starmer's out there saying, oh, yeah, you know, everyone needs to be paid more. And they absolutely, I mean, like it's an open and shut case for crying out loud. For the last couple of years, they've got 12% a year. So how do you, how can you go? Having had the year that nurses have had, right? Like literally thousands of them dying from COVID-19. How can you like go through that? And then, okay, great. What's the score then? Oh, good. <laughs> That's good. You're going to cut our pay. That's fucking great. Thanks for that then. And, you know, will that survive the uh, the rigor and the, the um, what's the word? The kind of forensic analysis that's happening at the moment? Hopefully not. Hopefully the government will, you know, kind of do something in order for public um, you know, kind of workers on the front line to be remunerated. Um, but there was no money for self-isolation. There was no money for pe putting people up into hotels um, if they need to go into hotels, which I think, you know, I mean, you don't actually need to travel at all. There, there, may, be there may be times when you really do desperately need to travel. I understand that, you know, if you've got family elsewhere and somebody's dying, for instance, it could be argued, well, OK, let's do it. You know, even though we're not supposed to, let's do it. But I think a lot of, you know, the time, a lot of the time you can say, well, if you are going to travel, like you shouldn't be traveling so you can pay for the hotel. But there should be a fund whereby, you know, if you really need to travel and you can't afford to put the hotel like pay the whatever it is, £1,500 for the hotel, um, for the quarantine when you come back to Britain, um, you know, there should be a fund available. There should definitely be funds available for people, you know, we just 
talks about the most deprived areas being the hardest hit, you know. And of course, if you can't afford to self-isolate, then you're not going to self-isolate. But this is all, you know, comes back to the idea that it isn't to do with eliminating COVID-19. It's to do with getting a background figure of deaths, which basically means that it's off the front pages. Yep. And we've got to get our heads around that, you know, like I was saying a few days, a few weeks ago. Um, but what there was money in the budget for was a town's fund. And surprise, surprise, incredibly, all the fucking Tory like voters are getting a bit of money. Well done. That's like proper pork barrel politics. Vote for the Tories and we'll give you a bit of investment in your town. One of those towns is Darlington. I'm a big fan of Darlington. I used to work up in Darlington with a superhero person running the school where I used to work and very fond of Darlington, but it's very deprived area. But Darlington is going to be benefiting from uh, the, what they're calling it, I think they're calling it Treasury North. The Treasury are opening an office up north and you know people in Leeds were saying come to Leeds and I'm sure other parts of, of the north as well wanted wanting you know the treasury there. Uh, Darlington's a forgotten town like you know years and years of like no money being pumped into it at all. It's uh, near Durham and near York kind of near York so they've got good universities in those places so it'd be really interesting to see what happens to Darlington with, um, you know, the Treasury North uh, going there. Um, and, you know, it looks like they're pumping money into places where they want to retain the uh, constituencies, the Red Wall constituencies that fell when, you know, kind of Johnson beat Corbyn in December 2019. And by the way, they've adopted Corbyn's policy of putting up corporation tax. You know, when Corbyn was saying it, it was all communism. You know what I mean? But now bloody Rishi Sunak's doing it. Oh, yeah, fine. You can do that, Rishi. No problem at all. And another thing is on free ports. There's a couple of free ports opening up uh, across the country. I don't know anything about free ports apart from in Tenet, they play an interesting uh uh, you know, part of the plot in Tenet, which is the Christopher Nolan film, brilliant film. And um, on that, it, it struck me the other day. I don't know if Christopher Nolan knows anything about metamaterials. Um, and if you're a fan of metamaterials, then listen to Paranormal Blip from last week. Was it last week or maybe a few weeks ago? I can't quite remember. But anyway, metamaterials are these... Um, metals essentially that are not of this earth and they have certain properties in it and when you watch Tenet if you've not seen it re-watch it if you've not seen it re-watch it <laughs> and, um, and and have metamaterials in your mind when it comes to the you know the, the MacGuffin I've forgotten what they call the thing but the, the thing that everyone's chasing yeah the MacGuffin um, and, and oh my god like you know, Christopher Nolan, either it's just a massive coincidence, this incredible coincidence that, you know, the MacGuffin um, carries the properties of metamaterials or Nolan knows about metamaterials and 
you know, knows the supposed properties. But it, it transforms the film. If you think of, that's the key to the film. I don't think anyone's bloody, I mean, not that I've checked, but I don't think anyone's made that connection before. So there you go, an original thought. Just a quick word on the old Pollywoddy here. Uh, starting to receive some fantastic audio from friends who have uh, col collaborated and you know contributed in the past. Um, so that's really good. And we're going to start doing that in a couple of weeks' time. One per week. And basically, it's a kind of look back on, on the year from the perspective of one of the people that's contributed in the past. Uh, so thank you so much if you're one of the people that have sent your work in so far, your work. <laughs> and um, look forward to receiving some more as well in the next you know, a couple of weeks, next month or so. I think the first one, so with the first episode I did was the 17th of March last year. So next week, we won't have one of those lookbacks in it, but the week after, so two weeks from, from today, yeah? Two weeks from this episode. So episode 215, there we go. I can name the episode, yes. Have you ever seen the sunshine? No, not pork. Sunshine. I didn't say pork. I know you've seen pork. Is that sunshine? So it was a year ago, a year ago, a couple of days ago, actually, on the 3rd of March, 2020, that Johnson Bonson, Johnson Sausage, said, I went into a hospital and I shook everyone's hands. In fact, I went up to the people that had COVID-19 and I shook their fucking hands because that's the kind of guy I am. And here he is. That I, 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 I'm shaking hands continuously. I was, at a, I was at a hospital the other night where I think there were, a few, there were actually a few coronavirus uh, patients and I shook hands with everybody, uh, you'll be pleased to know, and, and I continue to shake hands and... Uh, uh, I think it's very important that we, you know, people obviously can make up their own minds. I think the, Matt has said that people must make up their own minds, but I think the scientific evidence is, well, I'll hand over to the, to, to the experts, but, wa but wash our, judge hands. our judgment is wash. Uh, washing your hands is the crucial thing. I love the way that Valance is literally shouting over, wash hands, wash hands, oh no, you've got to wash your hands, yeah. Don't shake the people's hands, wash your own hands, for Christ's sake. But not everyone is as stupid as... Well, I mean, very few people are as stupid as that fucking sausage. One person who I massively admire, I have done for a long time, but she's just incredible, and we really need people like this woman. I'm talking about Dolly Parton, for crying out loud, who gave a million dollars, a million dollars to help fund the Moderna vaccine. She's friends with a doctor at this uh, kind of university hospital near where she lives. I think it's in Nashville. It's near Nashville. I think she lives in Nashville. Well, kind of sounds right, doesn't it? Dolly Parton living in Nashville. And um, she was involved in this car accident in 2014. And she befriended this kind of high-up doctor in this, uh, you know, only Dolly Parton can do things like that. Anyway, this high-up doctor, high-up doctor, in um, this hospital, which is called Vanderbilt, and they were working on the Moderna vaccine. And she said, well, I'm going to give you a million dollars. And she gave a million dollars of her own money. And I've been a big fan of Dolly Parton for years. 
may I don't know if you know this or not, but she's a massive supporter of children reading books. And she's given millions. She started up her own foundation to support children reading books. And she's given millions of dollars into this program. And literally, like, because of Dolly Parton, millions of kids, mainly in the United States, are reading books because of her and her program, which is fantastic. And so I've always been a big fan of Dolly. And um, anyway... Here she is. She's getting the vaccine and this has kind of done the rounds a little bit, but I thought I'd put it in the show because it's a beautiful like message. You know, I mean, talk about she's such a kind of good um, diplomat. Do you know what I mean? Like getting the message across in a way which really kind of resonates with people that really need the fucking message. You know what I mean? And here she is. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. I'm begging of you, please don't hesitate. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. Cause once you're dead, then that's a bit too late. <laughs> I know I'm trying to be funny now, but I'm dead serious about the vaccine. I think we all want to get back to normal, whatever that is. And that would be a great shot in the arm, wouldn't it? If we could get back to that. But anyhow, I just wanted to encourage everybody because the sooner we get to feeling better, the sooner we are going to get back to being normal. So I just want to say to all of you cowards out there, don't be such a chicken squat. Get out there and get shot. Three, six, nine, the goose drank wine. The monkey to the back on the streetcar line. The line broke, the monkey got choked. They all went to heaven in a literal boat. Clap, 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 your hand patted on your partner's hand. With your left arm, pat your partner's left palm Clap, pat, clap your hand, pat your partner's right palm With your right palm again Clap, slap, clap your hand, slap your thigh And sing a little song, go My mother told me If I was good in That she would find me A rubber dolly My auntie told her Jody got COVID! I counted out his money And it made a pretty penny I put it in me pocket And I took it home to Jenny She sighed and she swore That she never would deceive me But the devil take the women For they never can be easy Mushering her do the So we're fast approaching the first anniversary of this podcast and this time last year, uh, in fact this weekend, so I'm talking to you on the 5th of March, Friday, um, but uh, a year ago tomorrow, on the 6th of March, we registered our first death in the UK. This is from the BMJ, published the 6th of March 2020. The first death from COVID-19 has been recorded in the UK, while the death toll across the world has exceeded 3,300, with China, South Korea, 
Italy and Iran having the highest numbers. A UK patient who was described as older and with underlying health conditions had been in and out of hospital for non-coronavirus reasons before being tested and found positive for the virus. As of the 6th of March, more than 20,000 people have been tested for COVID-19 in the UK, of whom 163 have been found positive. England has 147 cases, with 29 in London, 24 in the southeast, 22 in the southwest, and 21 in the northwest. The northeast in Yorkshire uh, has 13 cases, Midlands has 12, east of England has 8. The locations of a further 15 cases are yet to be confirmed. The news of the death comes after uh, England's Chief Medical Officer Chris Whitty told the House of Commons Health and Social Care Select Committee that the UK was transitioning from a contain to a delay phase of the planned response. This aims to delay the peak in the number of cases pushing it closer to the summer months. Nearly all cases, 90%, are expected to hit the NHS within the nine-week period. Absolutely extraordinary. And, you, well, we know what happened next. We lived through it and, you know, have chronicled every bloody moment of it. But interestingly enough, um, just a couple of um, weeks ago, the end of January this year, uh, there was a, a report came out um, about the actual first death in the UK of somebody with COVID-19. Uh, Peter Atwood, 84, died on the 30th of January um, 2020. Uh, but his cause of death wasn't officially discovered until seven months later. And his uh, daughter quite brightly is trying to kind of, you know, rectify that. Um, so there we go. So the first actual death, even though we didn't know it at the time, um, was the 30th of January 2020. I mean, we still don't... This is also the week that the WHO has basically scrapped the... Um, <laughs> scrapped the, um, the report, the interim report from China, from the Wuhan province, province, because they're, you know, they're basically they come under a huge amount of criticism for going ahead with the interim report because the Chinese authorities were so um, censoring what they were seeing and, you know, not, not basically not allowing the investigation to go ahead unfettered. They fettered the investigation. So that gives you a bit of a uh, insight into the insanity of this last year. I mean, you know, we all know it, but it's extraordinary the difference between, you know, where we were exactly a year ago and where we are now. Like I say, you know, we're knocking on the door to 150,000 deaths, which is a very, like, you know, facile way of fucking putting it, but um, knocking on the door, knocking on uh, what door? Episode 213. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a great weekend if it is the weekend. Now, we are going to think of the parasitic wasp 
the parasitic wasp that takes over the body of the unsuspecting caterpillar, grows, the larvae grows in the caterpillar, drinking the blood, and then when the time is right, he chomps his way out, and then it's uh, all lovely and cosy-wosy, and then that's it, bloody job done. Yes, parasitic wasp. One, <laughs> two, three. Walk between the raindrops, take care of yourselves, do all of the hand hygiene stuff, and the mask wearing and the social distancing and if you're in texas wear your fucking mask no matter what that insane governor of yours says next episode by the way probably next weekend isn't it yeah probably right see you later That music can only mean one thing, it's Paranormal Blip, and today we're starting with amazing audio from our bloody airline pilot, American Airlines, who saw an interesting looking cylindrical shape in the skies above i think this is new mexico this was sunday the 21st of february i think it's the 21st uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh yeah here it is have any targets up here we just had something go right over the top of us that i hate to say this looked like a long cylindrical object it almost looked like a cruise missile type of thing moving really fast that went right over the top of us so today I'm going to talk about a theory that Jacques Vallée and a few other people hold. Um, uh, I think that Harry Reid, who's the former Senate Majority Leader, a Democratic um, Senator for years and years, uh, who's uh, based in Las Vegas, so Nevada, uh, he has this theory as well. And what it is, is that what you find in various uh, kind of places, sometimes that these, uh, where UFOs happen, uh, you also find very unusual activities. So as an example, there's a place called Skinwalker Ranch that was owned for quite a while, I think 10 years or so, by Robert Bigelow. And Robert Bigelow, um, he uh, did a couple of experiments, well, he basically kind of uh, funded ongoing experiments on this large ranch, Skinwalker Ranch, whereby lots of different things happened, but lots of it 
was not uh, you you couldn't capture it you couldn't capture the you couldn't record the phenomena in any way and so there's like huge skepticism around this obviously you know and i'm not entirely sold on everything that's um you know kind of reported about skinwalker ranch because there is no evidence um but apparently you know lots of very unusual things uh happened um robert bigelow actually kind of starts talking about it in terms of trickery um so there's a kind of um you know a trickster element to some of these uh, paranormal activities apparently um but Bigelow um, puts over this idea, an idea that's shared by a couple of people, that essentially anything, and this is my kind of phrasing of it and my kind of, you know, working it out for myself, but essentially anything that we can think of, any kind of mythical idea that is in our, you know, society, in our culture, in, in cultures all around the world, basically it's all true. As mad as it seems, as far out there as it, as it would seem in our everyday lives, everything is true and everything is connected. This is this theory. I don't believe in this theory, but I think it's quite interesting that there is a kind of unified theory of um, paranormal activity, if you like. UTPA, UTPA. Um, so, as an example, uh, you know, fairies, or um, the Bigfoot, or I don't know, like any, you know, anything, any kind of weird, like leprechauns, as an, uh, like you know, quite fairy tale like. Uh, clearly, what most people would describe as fantastical. Probably there's really good reasons why, you know, uh, kind of in terms of storytelling and in terms of kind of cultural education, there's really good reasons why people tell stories about fairies. I don't know what that would be, but you can imagine that, you know, like the grim fairy tales, there are kind of lessons to learn about, you know, the world, if you like. Um <laughs> So there may be other examples, like other reasons why these things are kind of around in our society and certainly like, you know, back in hundreds of years ago. And they've been, obviously, some of these uh, kind of mythical creatures are, are hundreds of years old, yeah? But there's an th idea in the world of kind of the, you know, paranormal and that George Knapp himself is kind of starting to come around to this idea that there are kind of interconnected um, parts to to this. So, so you know, it's not only uh, UFOs. And also the, another idea which goes along with this is that UFOs doesn't necessarily mean that, um, that we are talking about aliens from miles and, like, you know, like light years away, somewhere in deep space or somewhere in space other galaxies or whatever, or other planets, we might be talking about interdimensional beings. We might be talking about ways into, like, so some people can access ways into, for a short amount of time, 
ways into other ways of experiencing reality, if you like, like, you know, the world around them. Yeah. It might be that things like ghosts and things like poltergeists are um, like other forces, other kind of life forces elsewhere, um, temporarily gaining access into what we would call reality. Okay. This is a theory that exists in the world of the paranormal, which I think is like absolutely fascinating idea. And it may be that, uh, you know, in an, another dimensional world, there are uh, creatures that exist, which we find very difficult to, um, you know, accept as parts, a part of our world. But, uh, you know, sometimes if the conditions are right, they can have access to this world, okay? Now, everything, you could argue everything, uh, could fit into that theory, okay? Everything. Near-death experience, for instance, with near-death experiences, and, and Robert Bigelow, remember, he is bringing together his two interests of, you know, UFO um, discovery or kind of, you know, try, wanting to find out as much as he can about UFOs with uh, this question of what happens when you die, yeah? So near-death experiences, very uh, commonly, you know, you go through the tunnel, you go into a kind of, um, you know, paradise, essentially, where there's this real sense of love, real sense of kind of care, and a sense that you don't really want to leave, although you're kind of torn because you think, uh, you know, what about the kids? You know, commonly, that's what people go back for. And, um, but, but sometimes if you look into that world of NDE um, experiences, you will find um, that, there's, that there's sometimes a, a, a kind of, so you've got these soul characters, like kind of uh, guides or, yeah, like guide characters. Often that's uh, reported. But you've also sometimes got this thing whereby people have a bit of a sense of what life outside of, like, Earth is like, okay? I'm not talking necessarily about heaven, although lots of people do come back and say, yes, it was heaven, and they call it. Like they use that word, but I'm talking about a world beyond this world uh, whereby things make sense in a way that they don't make sense on this earth. And multiple lives are essentially kind of laid out in front of you. Yep. Now, this is you've got to kind of do a, a old deep dive on the NDE um, testimony to get into this. Uh, kind of, you know, to you might be lucky, like you know, you might find it the first time you look in into uh, NDE testimony. But I've like kind of looked at this for eight, for years and years. I was I've been into this for years and years, you know, the NDE side of things. So I'm kind of you know drawing on years of you know reading and listening to testimony. Um, so and what you find is that everything you could include everything in this theory reincarnation um obviously you know anything to do with ghosts and communication with uh, people that have uh, died of course is connected to that but also if um 
aliens, if you like, are interdimensional beings. And if every, you know, kind of mythical figure, mythical creature that we've made up in the past exist somewhere and somehow have access to our world, if the conditions are right, if the light is right, and also I think that probably, and, and George, um, Robert Bigelow talks about this, probably there are some people that are more open to it and experience things more than others. I mean, my own mother, right? And some of you might know this if you knew her. My own mother, she couldn't put a wristwatch on because it would start spinning around. I mean, it was incredible. And she had lots of out-of-body experiences and she was into this as a kind of subject, you know? I don't have anything like that. I've got, you know, I haven't seen anything. I haven't seen a ghost. I haven't seen anything yet, you know, and I probably never will. But I know that it happened. This kind of shit happened to my mum. Yeah, this kind of shit's happened to my mum. Now, so that's the interesting theory, isn't it? Yeah, brilliant. I don't know if it's got a name. Maybe we should name it. I've, I've heard a couple of people talk about this kind of universal theory. Um, but I don't know what, what, what could we call it? The everything? That sounds a bit bollocks, that, doesn't it? Anyway, um, also check out uh, footage of extraordinary lights, uh, lights above um, Las Vegas on the 1st of March. So what day was the 1st of March? It was Monday, wasn't it? Yeah, so Monday this week, Monday the 1st of March, 2021 take a look there's video on on uh, on twitter and you've got quite a lot of a lot of coverage and there's a very good interview with robert bigelow um on joe rogan and very interestingly rogan is interested he's a podcaster american quite a kind of macho podcaster he's interested in mixed martial arts which is you know <laughs> not really what I'm interested in but anyway he's a very good interviewer and um, he talks to Robert Bigelow and the the conversation is bookended by it's long like three hour long conversation basically the first and the third hour is um, uh, about aliens and UFOs and the third well mainly about UFOs and about space his work in space, which is really interesting, especially the first hour. But the second hour is quite interesting because, um, you know, Rogan hasn't kind of leapt yet. He hasn't kind of taken the leap into, which I think is very difficult. And I totally haven't either, like fully at all. And I think it's very difficult to do so, whereby you leap into the where kind of nap is on this where you say, yeah, I'm totally, you've got to like obviously be, like George Knapp is a really interesting guy because he's a Peabody winning um, investigative reporter. Do you know what I mean? He's a hard-nosed motherfucker. But he also, he's been in this world for 30 years and he also knows, well, actually, you know, in any other kind of, you know, story, if I was hunting down any other story, if I kind of get this amount of evidence, then I've got to be open to it. As unlikely and as like absurd as it seems, I have to be open to it and I can't let myself get in the way 
of what the kind of facts are telling me, yeah? Like, why would I do that? I wouldn't do that in any other, like, area. So why would I start doing that here? And he is uh, one of these people that thinks that there is a kind of, you know, there's something else happening. It's not just to do with aliens. And he's certainly got a kind of real open mind in terms of all of this stuff. Rogan is the opposite. He's not there yet. And so when the dude um, Bigelow starts talking about uh, funny paranormal activity, um, Rogan is very, and, and mediums as well, Rogan is very kind of standoffish and it's quite interesting. But anyway, the first part of that interview is really good. Um, yeah, so, so there we go. I mean, one other thing as well about that is that, you know, you do have to have, and I think the Bigelow... I don't know, I've seen other interviews with him where he, he's kind of giving a bit more. And if I, like, I mean, I'm not that I'm a bloody Bigelow expert, but even the small amount of stuff that I know about him, I would have asked him some questions that Rogan didn't ask him, you know? So I don't think it kind of really, you know, he didn't really kind of exploit having Bigelow there as much as he could have done, Rogan. Um, having said that, you know, I do share some of uh, Rogan's um, cynicism when it comes to, you know, I mean, obviously, like, you know, people are out to be conned, you know what I mean? Like, of course, there's so many con artists when it comes to, you know, preying on grief, grief-stricken, there's a podcast, grief-stricken people, you know what I mean? Like some fucking medium Googles you and stuff and... That's it. The, you know, you kind of create the atmosphere. It's all, a lot of it is performance, obviously. A lot of it is performance. Not that I'm saying that all mediums are, you know, uh, not legit, but certainly the vast majority of them, I imagine, aren't legit. And they're not legit. Yes. And um, so that is Paranormal Blip. Take care. See ya.